Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Cool Hand Grace Podcast. Each week, we explore a biblical passage or topic, offering insight and application and seeking to point us to hope and direction for our lives. We also have interactive questions for each podcast for individual reflection or for small groups. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. Here on the Cool Hand Grace podcast, we talk a lot about our position in Christ, and our position speaks of a vital union every believer has with the Lord, and it is the basis from which our Christian lives will flow out of. Position truth is sometimes referred to as identity truth. Identity is the qualities, beliefs, values, appearances that make a person who they are and how they self-identify. So we're going to start a short series here on the podcast asking three basic questions that of all of us have sure have asked at some point in time or another. And then we will answer them from the lens of our identity in Christ. Questions are, who am I? And we'll look at that from the lens of our identity in Christ. And then why am I here? We'll look at that from the same lens. And then where am I going? Well, if you look in the mirror, you assign various positive and negative values to yourself. You know, that's me, the ugly one, or the easy on the eyes one, or the big one with the big nose, or the warm smile. And usually uh, attached, we have this identity attached to certain physical features, you know, our nose, our eyes, our eye color, our hair, height, body, uh, weight, etc. Now, you also can look into the inside person, and you might say things like, well, that's me, the good student, or the musician, or the nice one, the assertive one, the smart one. Uh, and again, usually these are attached to certain abilities or accomplishments or the lack of them. So, you know, we don't usually hear about someone who looks and says, hey, that's me, the one that needs their fingernails to be cut. Or on the inside one, that's me, the one who can curl my tongue or can play happy birthday on the kazoo. Why don't we usually identify on things like that? Well, because they're, they're not that important of a feature, especially compared to contrast to others. I mean, our identity comes because of what other people think, and we tend to draw our sense of identity from the other's view of you, and we draw conclusions about ourselves based on others' views. So why are most people not highly motivated, for example, to become the world's best pancake maker? Because even if you achieve this, most people would yawn, snicker, who cares? Not a big deal. So your identity, we have to acknowledge, is typically wrapped up in what others think. And that identity then becomes pretty tenuous because that standard is, can be subjective and fickle, and we know that it often even can change. That's why Paul warns us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, for we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they, measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. Did you see the, hear the word themselves repeated? 
that is the warning. We don't want to compare ourselves one to another, but we do. We typically always will do this. Relative standards the, the, that we have, though, and they're shifting values and even arbitrary, and that's going to cause us to be frustrated and to never really be sure where we're fitting in. Now, your identity is wrapped into what others think about you, and we can't escape this, and we don't find security there. Now, two things we use to help determine our identities is, number one, uh, we are what we do. We are what we accomplish, and this is very much so than focusing in on our performance because what we do and what we accomplish is for others. You know, it gives us a, a high, but we really need to be acknowledged by others. So we all have goals, ideals, wishes, and how is that working out for you? As we are striving to be a better version of ourselves, you know, I'm waiting to be version 3.2. What is the narrator in our, in our mind saying and commenting on? How's that going? always trying to accomplish and perform and well the second thing uh, that we will use for our determining our identities is what others are saying what do others say about us who do others say we are we are very relational beings we're created that way and we naturally desire approbation which makes us vulnerable vulnerable to what others think because you know what some people are can be decent and give fair assessments and that's helpful but you know too many of us, we have our own issues, and therefore we can be cruel and unfair, and we can be condescending toward others. And typically it's often because of a control issue or whatever, but it gets messy, and it can do a lot of emotional harm. But these two areas that we look to identity based on our own accomplishments and performances or what others say who we are, they're straight up wrong, and they will never really work. And they yet are all we no. <laughs> How do we break out of this cycle? We have to enter in a supernatural factor, something from outside of ourselves. And that is we are who God says we are. That's the real reality. Now, there's a good part to that. That is that we are made in the image of God. When God created, he created humanity alone as the, in the image and the likeness of him. Just humans. And we see this in Genesis chapter 1 and, and uh, verses 26 through 27. We read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. He said, Let us make man singular, is the, the Hebrew word there. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. Notice, let them, plural. Let us make humanity in our image. Let them have dominion. And then in verse 27, God says, So God created singular man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them, plural. So notice it's both for, to, for humanity to be properly reflected, we need both the masculine and the feminine combined as one. Now, notice also God says, Let us make man. And several times there, there's this personal pronoun of plural. And so we see that God is plurality. He is a relational being, and we know that this plurality is uh, uh, developed, and by the time we complete the Scripture in, in the New Testament, we can say he's a trinity. So we see then that God is relational in this eternal bond of the trinity for all eternity past, and he created the human, the humanity, humanity alone, to correspond to him, to 
correspond to that image of him and to be able to relate to him. So it's like we have a small G for all of uh, uh, of God's attributes. I mean, God is a capital G, we're a small G. Uh, God is sovereign, but he's given us sovereignty and, and, and free choice and such. And it's all under the umbrella, though, of his ultimate sovereignty. God is righteous. He's made us with a sense of right and wrong. God is just. We have that same sense of even justice. And he's relational. We have complex human relationships. And we have an intellect that uh, God is all, um, you know, all wise. We have an intellect that's like none other on the, human, on, the, on the planet Earth and so forth. And so we are made like God, obviously much under him and all of his attributes, but we can express ourselves and relate to him and correspond to him and have fellowship with him as he created us in that sense. Well, Colossians 1.16 also reminds us that all things were made through him and for him. So we were created for him as well. So God is including humanity into this amazing eternal relationship that he's had since eternity past. He doesn't need us, but he wants us. And our value is tagged to him and his creation of us. Now, the not-so-good part about the creation is that we were created in the image of and the likeness of God, yes, but then we also had the fall and we have become sinners. We are actually identified and find ourselves naturally related to Adam and his sin and his rebellion. We are, positionally, we would say we are in Adam. Now, God's intended purpose for us to have this relationship with him was lost. We are separated from him now through that sin. We're now part of the kingdom of darkness. And the relationship of God who is right and holy, he must separate from us which are sinful and not holy. And his issue of justice and righteousness needs to be settled as well. And so we have become lost as humanity, separated from God, under condemnation, in Adam. But the good news is this, the value of something can be determined, can be seen, and what one will pay for it. And so God sees value in what he created, and he desires relationship with us still. Even in our fallen condition, he loves us even though we have sinned. His love is not altered by our sin. And in his love, he pursues this, our world of sinners. John 3.16 reminds us that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so we read about the incarnation, where Jesus is born and enters into our lost world, fully human and yet fully God at the same time, in this union of who he is. And, And he's identified then with humanity, and he comes in because of God's love. And then we see the cross, where Jesus goes to the cross and dies, satisfying God's justice as he takes upon himself God's wrath for our sins and God's punishment for what we've done. And this, again, according to Romans 5.8, is demonstrating God's love toward us. The incarnation, the cross, these things are accomplishments that God is seeking to do to retrieve a relationship with us. And it's concluded with the resurrection, as the resurrection then fulfills God's desire of love or desire of God's love for us and that through that resurrection the doors to heaven is open as God can say it is finished the price has been paid and I have been satisfied with what Christ has accomplished and he's now alive so God proclaims through the resurrection his propitiation and how things are paid in full our sins are paid in full first Timothy 2 5 and 6 We read, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. A mediator means he represents one to the other. As a human, he represents humanity to God. As God, he represents the heavens and deity to to humans. 
And it says the man Christ Jesus, the one mediator, gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. He gave himself a ransom at the cross. He paid that price, a ransom price for you and I. And this is to be testified in due time. This is the resurrection is the new news, is the news that is proclaimed that he's alive, he's successful, God has propitiated. And so even this noun testimony refers to an event that serves as a testimony. And the cross and resurrection event is the testimony that we can have relationship with God again. So what is your value? Well, what was paid for your rescue from separation from God? What was the ransom price? It was the very death of Jesus Christ, his own life, the ultimate sacrifice given on our behalf. It is priceless. So we are of infinite value. And that value is tagged to God because he made us. And we are then corresponding to him uniquely as only humans can. And so we're at a crossroads. Here this great rescue mission has been successfully completed. Life is now offered freely as a gift. God is seeking to persuade you of his love for you. The demonstration of that love has been expressed. The reality of eternal life is available. And so faith is to be persuaded so that we will trust. And God wants to persuade us. Trust is to believe, to rely on. So in order to get into heaven, we must believe in what Christ has done alone and his merit and his work. No works can save you. Nothing you do for God can ever save you. You and I, we are spiritually drowning and we need rescue. It's the rescuer who does the work. It's the rescuer who receives all the credit. We get in on this by grace, undeserved favor. But God loves us in spite of ourselves and the very basis of our salvation. It's not ourselves. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 reminds us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. See, the basis of our salvation is grace. We've been saved through faith. And our salvation is not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Boy, we get a hold of that. It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. So what happens when you believe? Well, the Bible's going to say we are then born again. We, re- we become regenerate. We have life. We receive new birth. We're, we were spiritually dead. We were separated in Adam. But now we are in Christ, alive, a child of God. And being in Christ, with Christ, these various phrases all describe us now in our new state in Christ. The very essence of Christianity in the Christian life is coming out of this in Christ position relationship. Notice how this phrase is used in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. He's predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood and forgiveness of sins, and according to the riches of his grace, which he made abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, in himself. So notice these in him, in him, in himself. It's used uh, uh, 10 or 11 times in these, these three, the 11 verses in Ephesians 1. 
We have an adoption as sons in him. We have an inheritance which is related to life in him. So we're a new creation, spiritually alive, a child of God with a position in Christ. So what? Who am I? Why does this matter? Who am I? Let's apply this with uh, and answer this question through these glasses, these lenses of I am in Christ. First, we have to acknowledge that with the new birth, there was a death. We've referred to this before, but just briefly in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? This was referring to a spirit baptism, and that's how we get placed into Christ. When we get saved, the Spirit puts us in Christ. So we're identified with him as baptized means to be placed into. So we're baptized into his death. We're co-crucified with him. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism. So we're baptized, identified with his burial. And then just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. So we're identified with his newness of life. The old you, friends, was crucified. That who you were in Adam. That identity is no more. You know, your personality is fine, your human attributes are fine, and your skills, all that's fine. But your identity in Adam was not, and God took care of that. You were co-crucified with Christ. Who you were in Adam is now finished, and you are now a brand new creation. You are in Christ. And why is that important? Because Galatians 2.20 now is a key verse in our Christian life. It says, I have been crucified, Paul says. I was co-crucified. See, that's what we just talked about. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I, the I and Adam who used to be. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And this new life, the life I now have as regenerate and born again, the life which I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So this is true. Christ is in you, and the life which you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God. And that is true of you, believer, whether you've been walking that way or not, whether you've been enjoying victory or whether you've been failing. Because this is positional truth, and it's not based on our walk. You are in him, and he is in you, and that is the fact. That's the life that God sees, the new life, the Christ life in you, and that's what he recognizes. Our position in Christ means that the old you has died, and the pressure now to perform and to do more and to jump higher and to not fail, and all of that is related to who we were in Adam, and that person's been co-crucified, and he's, that person's gone. The old identity was, in, was the one we needed for in comparison to one another and to people or what people said we were. That, that's all gone. It's who God says you are. That's what matters. And you are a new creation in Christ. And he is in you. And you are in him. You've been baptized and put in him. And now he has indwelt and lives in you. The Spirit, by means of the Spirit, he is in you. And this speaks of incredible togetherness, relationship, potential fellowship. Your position in Christ speaks of this amazing union with him. Now, Galatians 4.19, just a few verses later, Paul was desiring his uh, to the Galatians how he wanted them to, to basically to grow in their salvation. And he says, until Christ is formed in you. Just that phrase, until Christ is formed in you. The verb formed is, the, is morphu, and it talks about um, developing or becoming, uh, being formed. And the word is a, uh, was used as a work that artists would be using when they were creating their art. They're forming and it's developing. And so... Here's a reality. Christ is in you. 
And God wants to conform us to become more and more like him, conformed more and more to the image of his son. Notice image, just like Genesis chapter 1, God created us in his image, and here's how we can be restored even and uh, uh, internally, spiritually, in that image. Think of a small boy in his dad's dress shirt. He's four years old, and the shirt is way, way, way too big for him. But in time, you know, the shirt stays the same, but that young boy grows and grows. And that's the idea, until Christ is formed in you. You know, the, the shirt that stays the same, that's our position truths in Christ. And we hopefully get formed into who we are in Christ more and more practically. So we get to participate in this divine life daily as God wants to interact with us in this relationship. You know, it reminds me kind of the idea of the American Idol format for their contest. You know, each week when the winner is determined uh, and everything's sorted out, that winner gets to sing a final song on stage. And, you know, because now they have won, that's why they're going to perform. They have won. So they're not performing and singing for, uh, for the evaluation and the pressure and to convince the judges, etc. They sing far more relaxed far more with enjoyment and the pleasure of singing, not the performance of singing. And that's how it is with us in Christ. You no longer work for approval. You and I, we function from approval, from the fact that we are in Christ. That's our identity, and it matters. So how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself in the old, in Adam, or in the new, in Christ? Are we trying to perform? Are we trying to uh, really be being beaten down by what others say who we are, etc.? Or are we enjoying and depending on who God says we are in Christ? Who am I? Well, how we fit, we've answer that question, who am I? Uh, we want to answer that question through, it looks like we have a pair of glasses on that kind of through that we look and see it defines everything. If we had colored glasses on, we see everything through the, the hint, the tint of that color of glasses. So do we have the glasses on which we see everything kind of ourselves and trying to jump through hoops and perform? And then the life narrator that's within, that voice within, speaks through those glasses we choose to put on? And th- sometimes we hear this is, uh, we, you know, we, we hear these truths about who we are in Christ and all of that, and it becomes, we can become a little dull. We can be facing uh, trials or difficulties, and, and all that inf- those things about who we are in Christ becomes just kind of like a quip. A pious platitude, you know, an insecure, insincere ta- uh, talk about religion or morals. That's what pious platitudes are. You know, forgive and forget. Winners never quit. Great minds think alike. Money can't buy happiness. Don't be sad that it is over. Be sad that it happened. Only dead fish go with the flow. Ah, just leave me alone. That's how we can get with some of these quips. And there's biblical ones, too. They're actually straight up true. They're from the Word of God. But we get, sometimes we can flinch at them, we get irritated by them when we're in the midst of a trial or whatever, and someone says, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. Count it all joy. Pray without ceasing. All things will work for good. And we can get just annoyed as well. Because why? Our circumstances in that situation are big and real and raw and difficult. And the quip just seems so flippant. No real regard for what's going on and what you're facing. And the quip sounds so easy and dismissive. And so the truth, vital truth, good stuff, 
often probably poorly shared, but that truth isn't really believed when we're in that state. And here, the stuff in front of you, this trial, whatever it is, it's significant and it's bearing down on you and you're not seeing clearly the value of the truth. So what is this really? It's having the wrong pair of glasses on. We're looking at glasses that are tinted and they're tinted subtly with the atom subtle identity. We're going back to our performance and back to what others are thinking in approval of us and back to those comparisons in one way or another. And the focus isn't really quite on Christ or who you are in him. So uh, here's like a chart <clears throat> that I'll just kind of verbally walk through. Um, but we'll try to just see how it is so helpful if we allow ourselves to meditate on the these kinds of truths. For example, in our natural glasses, uh, the Adam glasses, it would, we'd say, I'm, I'm scarred. But with the Christ in, in Christ, God says, no, you are healed. As Isaiah 53, 5 says, he has healed us. I am a sinner in Christ that God says, no, you are forgiven. And we have verses for these, but we won't go through them for the sake of time. But uh, I am broken in Christ, God says, no, you are made whole. Colossians 2.10, you are complete in him. The natural Adam glasses, I'm rejected, Christ, God says, and in Christ, you are mine. Natural in Adam glasses, I am alone. In Christ, we look at who am I? No, God says, you are with me. You're not alone. I'm failing. No, in Christ, you are victorious. He is the overcomer of the world. In Adam glasses, I am abandoned. In Christ, you are adopted as a son, as a child. I am afraid. You are secure in Christ. In Adam or under the Adam glasses, I am unworthy. And God reminds us, no, in Christ, you are loved. I'm wandering or lost in Christ. Paul, uh, God reminds us that you are shepherded. The Lord is my shepherd. In the Adam way of looking at things and trying to find our identity, I can't measure up. And the Lord says, in Christ, you are accepted. I hate myself. No, in the Christ, you are not condemned. I'm sad. In Christ, you are understood as the Spirit even makes intercession for you and when you can't even express that in words. You're understood. I'm a servant. In Christ, we're reminded, no, you are a child. Galatians 4 says, you are no longer a servant, but you're a child. And you can, the Spirit cries, Abba, Father. So as we think of these things, it's the perspective of eyeglasses that we put on. And why might we hesitate at all of these kinds of things that we are in Christ? Why might we find temporary resistance or uncertainty there? And it's because we're not mixing that with faith. Again, the trial, the difficulty, whatever is going on is overwhelming us. And so we don't feel it. Or we maybe sense we're not deserving of it. And so we waver. We might think that's more true of others, but that's not as true for me. But there it is in the scriptures laid out. That is how God sees you. You are who God says you are. That's why I like the uh, Romans 4, 19 through 21, referring to Abraham and Sarah. I mean, God promised them a child, a miraculous birth when they were well beyond age. 
And that didn't happen immediately. It took some time before Isaac was born. And Abraham and Sarah, you know, they struggled with that good news. They heard good news, you are going to be parents. And, and God told them that, and it was hard for them to fathom. And their story wasn't all perfect. They had some bad chapters in their story or some, you know, where they made some blunders and they stumbled in unbelief. But here in Romans 4, we're reading the summary of their story. And we read, And not being weak in faith about Abraham, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't look at that. He didn't consider that. Instead, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He didn't do that. But he was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that he, what God had promised, he was also able to perform. That promise, you're going to have a child, can't wait till your parents, might have sounded like an irritating quip in those darker chapters when things weren't going so well. But, you know, they learned over the process of time, and they learned they obviously were persuaded until Abraham became convinced, and that's what faith is, is being persuaded so as to trust. And now we read as the summary of his story, he didn't waver as he became convinced of the promises of God. And he was strengthened in faith. And he gave glory to God as he was fully convinced that God would do what he said he could do. Friends, when you see what God says is real, and you're in tune with his word and truth, and when you see yourself how God sees you, that opens the floodgates. Because now it's no longer quips or platitudes or things that you can't quite relate to. Instead, we are personally persuaded to trust him in the midst of whatever it is. And these truths about how God sees us and who we are in him, open, it opens the floodgates. It compels us and we respond to him. You know, some daily life examples, you've got a big exam coming, a big test. It's, you haven't, you know, you might think, oh, but I, what if I didn't study correctly or studied the wrong things? I get a poor grade, then I get a bad GPA, then I get kicked out of school, then I can't get a job, and then I end up homeless and desperate. We let these scenarios run wild. But notice all that's performance measures. It's about Adam stuff, and you're dead to that. So what then, you can ask? Wait a minute, if I'm in Christ, so what? If I don't do well on that test, am I still in Christ? Is he still king? Is he still Lord in my life? Am I still in him and he's still in me? Am I still going to heaven? Do I still have the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah, I can be persuaded of these things and put on those glasses and allow those glasses of who I am and who God says I am to impact my whole outlook on life. Boy, maybe you lost your job, the coronavirus things and you know are impacting so many, and you could have corresponding anxiety or even some anger or some uncertainty, fear. Put on those glasses. Who am I? God says who I am. Does God care about my situation? Yes. Am I known? Yes. Am I still eternally secure? Yes. Are his promises still valid? Yes. Am I understood? Yes. Maybe you failed or sinned again, and you're running yourself down. The narrator is going on and on about negative talk. You always do this. You never seem to fail. You should be well beyond this by now. What is your problem? Performance standards. What others say about you, that's what you're worried about. That's what's consuming us. And that's related to Adam and that person's dead. We're concerned about a dead person in there, what people say about him. Because that's not who you are. 
You're not in Adam. We are in Christ. We put those glasses on. We recognize that in Christ I am forgiven. In Christ I've been made whole. In Christ I can thank the Lord for the Spirit of God and His enabling power who is potentially there. I can walk potentially uh, under Him. In Christ I am loved and I'm, again, not condemned and I'm accepted. And there is hope and there is change and future before me. Maybe you've been criticized and it, it hurts and you know inwardly it's true. Maybe a lot of it was true. And now I'm a loser, I'm a failure, and here we go again. No, 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 no. You are in Christ. Those glasses means that God is with you. You even are victorious and a conqueror in Christ. And there's hope and change clearly possible there because you're not condemned. <laughs> So your union with Christ is real, friends. It's not a fairy tale. The question is, do you believe this? Do your glasses that you wear allow you to think this way? That's the glasses the Lord wants to persuade you with and tint them according to spiritual truth and these rich things. Theolo theologians call this the mystical union. It speaks of, that means it speaks of mystery because this involves faith and this dynamic relationship and interaction with a, a supernatural scale. And that's a charmed life. Jesus calls it the abundant life in John 10, 10, and that's there. So who am I? Let's look at that and answer that through the glasses and the lens of my position in Christ. I am a born-again child of God, and all those things are true of me. As I better understand Christ, that, is, that truth, Christ is formed in me, and I can walk in newness of life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. And we come before you celebrating this wonderful truth of our identity and position in Christ. It's all by grace, so undeserved, and yet it's all accomplished and secured and made available to any and everyone who believe in Jesus and receive eternal life based on his work on their behalf. Thank you for the simplicity of that salvation, and thank you for the simplicity of the Christian life. Christ lives in us, and we walk the same way we got saved, by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks for listening. We do have interactive questions for this podcast, as well as if you wanted that, that chart we mentioned, uh, just email us at coolhandgrace at gmail.com. And feel free to send us any feedback as well. Until next time, remember, where the Spirit of God is, there is always hope.